Romans, the second chapter. And let's begin today, verse 17, and we'll read down through the remainder of the chapter, verse 29. Probably going to be putting a closing to chapter 2 today. I'm sure when we pick up in Lord willing in in chapter 3 next week or the week after that we will keep coming back to the things that we've talked about in chapter 1 and chapter 2 because it just keeps building. It just keeps building uh, one verse after another. And so today, verse 17, to begin, I'm reading from the New King James Version. Indeed, you are called a Jew and rest on the law and make your boast in God and know His will and approve the things that are excellent being instructed out of the law and are confident that you are yourself a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of babes, having a form of knowledge and truth in the law. You, therefore who teach another, do you not teach yourself? You who preach that a man should not steal, do you steal? And you who say, do not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who make your boast in the law, do you dishonor God through breaking the law? For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you as it is written. For circumcision is indeed profitable if you keep the law. But if you are a breaker of the law, your circumcision has become uncircumcision. Therefore, if an an uncircumcised man keeps the righteous requirements of the law, will not his uncircumcision be counted as circumcision? And will not the physically uncircumcised, if he fulfills the law, judge you who, even with your written code and circumcision, are a transgressor of the law? For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh, but he is a Jew who is one inwardly, the circumcision that is of the heart, in the spirit, not in the letter, whose praise is not from men, but from God. So let's pray once again. Heavenly Father, as we come to your word once again, just what we know not teach us, what we have not give us, and always, most of all, who we are not make us. For Christ's sake and in his name I pray, Amen. Amen. Now, Paul is going to continue his indictment upon sin of both the Jew and of the Gentile, for there is no partiality with God. All have sinned. All of us. And Paul is out to expose sin to make a case that all both Jew and Gentile are sinners, that there is not one righteous of themselves, and that All are in need of saving grace provided by Jesus Christ through His sacrificial death upon the cross. So, when Paul began chapter 2, 
It was as though he knew the arguments that would be coming. Remember how he started. Because he's, he's convicting sin. And so often when people are confronted with their own sin, what happens? Justification. Try to justify themselves. Uh, start arguing their point. Start arguing their perspective. Start trying to justify their lives and their lifestyles. And the Jew would perhaps would have said, and, and I'm sure Paul was thinking this if they weren't mumbling it, but Paul, how could you say that there's no partiality with God? That, that we and the Gentiles are the same. Come on, Paul, we have the law. God gave it to us, no one else. And that is proof that we are His people and that we are saved and that we don't need your justification by faith. See, there was the argument. And then Paul took the argument down, didn't he? See, Paul knew that possessing the law was a great advantage and a great privilege for the Jew. But listen, but it is of no value if the ones possessing the commands of God fails to keep them. Paul condemned them as lawbreakers. And they were confronted with their own sin. They steal, they commit adultery, they boast in the law, and yet dishonor God by breaking the law. The law was given so that we all might know that we are lawbreakers and in need of justification by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Uh, Paul in Romans 7 7 would later say this. What shall we say then? Is, is the law sin? Certainly not. On the contrary, and here's what Paul says I would not have known sin except through the law, for I would not have known covetousness unless the law had said, You shall not covet. Is the law still relevant and useful today? Yes. It convicts of sin that, that we would just, <laughs> just go down through the Ten Commandments. And then Paul would speak of this again in, in his letter to the Galatians, in Galatians 3, uh, verse 22 through 25. But the Scripture has confined all under sin. I'm going to pause there for a minute. You see, throughout the writings of Paul, the message continues and continues and continues the same. The Bible from beginning to end resonates with the same messages, the same truths over and over again so that we can have no doubt of what the Lord is, is trying to tell us and how we should live. But the Scripture is confined all under sin. Why? That the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. But before faith came, we were kept under guard. How? By the law. Kept for faith which would afterward be revealed. Therefore, the law was our tutor, our teacher, you see. It revealed our sin as the Holy Spirit spoke as the Lord began opening our eyes and, and we could see, yes, I'm a transgressor. I'm a lawbreaker. Therefore, the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. But after faith has come, we're no longer under 
a tutor. So, so we don't need the law anymore? We don't need the Ten Commandments anymore after we're saved? No, we, we keep going back to those. But we're under grace. Love the Lord with all your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength. If we love the Lord as we should, we're not going to steal. If we love the Lord as we should, we're not going to do all those things that's found in the law, right? So it, it's, it's to love Him and to love Him as He should, as Brother Jesse brought out this morning. See, it was not sufficient for the Jew to say, I have the law and therefore I do not need the gospel. On the contrary, the law is given to reveal our need for God's grace. It reveals that we are all law breakers. Then, it's as though Paul anticipates the next question or the next argument. But but, but Paul, but, but Paul... We can go further back than Moses. We can go further back than the law. We we can go to our father Abraham. For we bear on our bodies the sign of the covenant. We have circumcision, Paul. We have been set apart from the Gentiles. And, And how can you even try to lump us together with them? We have nothing to do with them. Don't say that we are as guilty as they are and that we need justification by faith only. We are Jews. And we can prove that we are Jews. We have circumcision. I just want to remember when it was implemented. Let's just read. Let's go all the way back to Genesis 17. Genesis 17. This is where circumcision was implemented. And the Lord talking to Abraham. And you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised, every male child in your generations. He who is born in your house or bought with money from a foreigner who is not your descent... Who's he talking about? Well, this would rub a lot of people the wrong way today when it's talking to slaves. Whew. Verse 13. He who is born in your house and he who is bought with your money must be circumcised and my covenant shall be in your flesh for an everlasting covenant. And the uncircumcised male child who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin, that person shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. So this is a very big deal for the children of Abraham. And there are many professing Jews today who are banking on their circumcision to get them into heaven and keep them out of hell. But I'm a Jew. I've been circumcised. Now let me me read some of this to you. Uh, And and this comes from Charles Hodge's commentary on Romans, which which Hodge got from reading um, someone else. Uh, And I could look up who that was. But quote, listen. Rabbi, and I'm probably not going to pronounce these Jewish names correctly, Rabbi Manachem, in his commentary on the book of Moses, says, Our rabbins have said 
that no circumcised man will see hell. In the Jalkut Rabbani, it is taught, circumcision saves from hell. In the Madrash Tillam, it is said, God swore to Abraham that no one who was circumcised should be sent to hell. Let me pause there for a minute. Is that what the Bible says? No. No, it's not. Let me keep going. In the book of Atticath Jezahak, it is taught, now listen to this, that Abraham sits before the gate of hell and does not allow that any circumcised Israelite should enter there. End quote. Uh, now we can read that and shake our heads and go, oh my goodness. But there's people who are trusting in this who are staking their eternal destination upon these things. See, that their argument is that salvation is for the Jews and that what makes one a Jew is circumcision. But Paul reminds them that they are lawbreakers. And by saying that, what did he say? Your circumcision has become uncircumcision. What was he saying? He's saying that the law-breaking Jew was no better than the heathen Gentile. Let's go to Romans 2, verse 26 and 27. Now here, Paul is putting into place in his writing a theoretical, a hypothetical case. And Paul does this from time to time. You have to understand that. And he says, therefore, if... Let me pause... It's though Paul is saying, now now just suppose, what if? Therefore, if an uncircumcised man keeps the righteous requirements of the law, let me pause there again, is this even possible? No, 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 it's not possible. No one, no one except Jesus Christ could ever keep the righteous requirements of the law. And it's as though as Paul is saying, okay, now for argument's sake, let's just say that he could. What if? That's what he's doing. And he has done this in other writings of his. Therefore, if an uncircumcised man keeps the righteous requirements of the law, will not his uncircumcision be counted as circumcision? In other words, he would be as a Jew. Verse 27, and will not the physically uncircumcised if he fulfills the law, judge you who, even with your written code and circumcision, are transgressors of the law. law. That they would stand as a reproach against the ones who should be keeping the law and the commands of God. So what matters? We've talked about it this morning. Brother Jesse, from the very beginning, was, was talking about it. Loving the Lord and keeping His commandments. That's that's what matters. It's not what He can do for us, it's what what are we doing for Him. Don't just be a hearer of the Word, but a doer. In 1 Corinthians 7, verse 19. 1 Corinthians 7, verse 19. Circumcision is nothing, and uncircumcision is nothing, But keeping the commands of God is what matters. That's pretty simple, is it not? 
See, because Paul had to deal with people coming to faith from the Gentiles and, and the Jews that were coming to faith, and then, then the Jews, wait a minute, well, what do we do with these Gentiles coming to the faith? Do we need to circumcise them? You know, what, what do we need to do here? And Paul was addressing a lot of these issues. And so here, circumcision is nothing, and uncircumcision is nothing, but keeping the commands of God is what matters. Because what did Jesus say? If you love me, what? Keep my commandments. That's John fourteen, fifteen. Yes, if you love me, keep my commandments. Keeping the commands of God is what matters. So I believe what Paul has in view here in in verses twenty six and twenty seven it is. Here are some Gentiles becoming a part of God's people and being saved from judgment while some natural-born Jews are judged and will perish on the day of judgment. How can this be? I'm sure the, the Jews of that day were saying that over and over rather angrily. How can this be? Natural-born Jews not being true Jews and, and Gentiles actually becoming a part of God's chosen people, Israel? How, how can that be? Ephesians 2. Ephesians 2, that's how it can be. Let, let, let's read. Ephesians 2, let's just read 11 through 19. Here's how it can be. Paul is saying here, Therefore remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision made in the flesh by hands. Now, I'm going to pause there for a minute. you got an understanding of what he's talking about, don't you? Because of what we've been studying in Romans. You, you get a clear picture now of what this is talking about in Ephesians. That you, once Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision made in the flesh by hands, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For He Himself is our peace, who has made both one. You understand, right? Jews and Gentiles, no partiality. Who have made both one, and has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in His flesh... Jesus Christ on the cross, you see, having abolished in His flesh the enmity, that is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so as to create in Himself one new man from the two, thus making peace. Well, it wasn't peace in the beginning, was it? There had to be some things worked out. Holy Spirit had to come. The truth of God's Word had to come. But, but, but God, but God had a plan. Verse 16. So as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace, and that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. And he and Christ came and preached peace to you who were afar off and to those who were near, to the Gentile and the Jew, those who were once afar off. For through him, through Christ, we both have access, 
Jew and Gentile, both have access to one Spirit, to the Father. Because there's only one Spirit. Only one. Now therefore, Gentile, now therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, <laughs> but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Are we a covenant people? Yes. We have been made so. Gentiles becoming part of the commonwealth of Israel. That's what Paul just said. Not by circumcision made in the flesh by hands, but by the blood of Christ who reconciles us to God through the cross. And now, in Romans 2, verse 28 and 29 now, Paul explains it. Paul gives the answer. How? How can this be? Well, here's how it can be. For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly. Either by nationality, by birth, by circumcision. For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew who is one inwardly. And circumcision is that of the heart. In the spirit. You see, what was missing? What was missing for the Jews? Spirit. Spirit, that's what was missing. But this circumcision is that of the heart, in the spirit, not in the letter, whose praise is not from men, but from God. And so Paul makes it clear that he's talking about an internal change and not an external activity. That, that last part, whose praise is not from men, but, but from God. <laughs> oh, there's, there's many of the Jews of the day who loved, who loved to be seen by men. Correct? I'm so thankful that I'm not like other men like this the tax collector. See, many of the Jews were all about the mechanics. They're all about the performance to be seen and admired by men. What did Jesus say in Luke 16, verse 15? And He said to them, You are those who justify yourselves before men for what is but God knows your heart. You are those who justify yourself before men, but God knows your hearts. For what is highly esteemed among men is an abomination in the sight of God. This is what Christ said. So what makes a person a true Jew, a member of the commonwealth of true Israel, is not that they possess the law, it's not because they have been naturally born into the nation of Israel. It's not because they have been physically circumcised, but rather it is a condition of the heart wrought by the Holy Spirit. That's what it means in Romans 9, when it says uh, it's 9-6, uh, not all Israel is Israel. But it is not that the Word of God has taken no effect, for they are not all Israel who are of Israel. What was Paul talking about there? And we'll get to that 
months or years down the road. We'll get to that. But, but he's talking about law-breaking Jews. Not true Jews. Not all Jews are true Jews. A true Jew is one who is inwardly a Jew. Well, what does that mean? It means that you're not the people of God physically by circumcision made in the flesh by hands, but rather we are people of God spiritually. A circumcision of the heart wrought by the work of the Spirit. One one writer, I, I didn't mark who it was from, one writer said this, it is the cutting away of evil from the heart. It is the cutting away of the unclean from the heart. It is a renewal of the heart and it happens by the Spirit to be set apart for His glory. Because that was what, back in Genesis, that was a sign that set them apart. To set them apart. And Scripture says quite a lot about this circumcision of the heart. Let's, let's read a few verses. Let's go to Deuteronomy 30, verse 6. Deuteronomy 30, verse 6. And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your descendants. Now, let me pause there for a minute. And what will this look like? You know, what, what, what will this manifest itself in the life of a circumcised of heart? And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your descendants to do what? There it is. There it is. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, that you may live. What's important? Love the Lord. Love the Lord. In Jeremiah 31, verse 33. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. And how will this transaction take place? By the Spirit. By the Spirit. Let's go to 2 Corinthians 3, verses 5 and 6. 2 Corinthians 3, 5 and 6. Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think of anything as being from ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God, who also made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. And there it is. There it is. Here's your handwritten requirements. The letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. So what did Paul say you know, in Romans there? But, but he is a Jew who is one inwardly. The circumcision that is of the heart, in the spirit, not in the letter. Then in Corinthians, not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. So, so what's it saying? So what's it saying? Here we go. The law minus the spirit equals. So, <laughs> hey, can, can we count this as a math lesson? Here we go. The law minus the spirit equals external religious ritual like circumcision. 
The law minus the Spirit equals the need for the praise of men to keep you bolstered up, to keep you going. The law minus the Spirit equals death. But the law plus the Spirit equals an internal circumcision of the heart. The law plus the Spirit equals satisfaction in the praise of God even if no man praises you or approves of you. Our praise will be from God. Because sometimes when we stand on the Word of God and we stand on His truth, (laughs) we're not going to get praised by men. We're going to get hammered. And the law plus the Spirit equals life. Because the Spirit unites us to God in love. See, what matters is a circumcision of the heart. That which is done by the Spirit, by God. Now, let let me read a few more passages here. Deuteronomy, let's go back to Deuteronomy chapter 10 this time, verses 14 through 17. Indeed, heaven and the highest heavens belong to the Lord your God, also the earth with all that is in it. The Lord delighted only in your fathers to love them, and He chose their descendants after them, you above all peoples as it is this day. Therefore, circumcise the foreskin of your heart, and be stiff-necked no longer. For the Lord your God is God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality nor takes a bribe. And even in, even in Deuteronomy, talking about no partiality with God. Jeremiah 9, verse 23 through 26. Thus says the Lord, Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man glory in his might. Let not the rich man glory in his riches. But let him who glories glory in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord exercising loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth. For in these I delight, says the Lord. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will punish all. All who are circumcised with the uncircumcised. Whoa. This is in Jeremiah. It's not Paul in Romans. What the Lord say? That I will punish all who are circumcised. All the law-breaking Jews will be punished right along with the law-breaking Gentiles. You see that? See, Paul, it was nothing new that he was telling these people. All they had to go back was read read their own word from from the prophets. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will punish all who are circumcised with the uncircumcised. Egypt, Judah, Edom, the people of Ammon, Moab, and all who are in the furthest corners who dwell in the wilderness, for all these nations are uncircumcised, and all the house of Israel are uncircumcised in the heart. Paul wasn't teaching them anything new. Let's go into Philippians. Third chapter, first three verses. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. 
For me to write the same things to you is not tedious, but for you it is safe. Beware the dogs. Beware the evil workers. Beware the mutilation. He's talking about false teachers, false prophets. Beware the mutilation, the law-breaking Jew. For we are the circumcision who worship God in the Spirit. It's over and over, isn't it? It's the Spirit. Circumcision of the heart. For we are the circumcision, who worship God in the Spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh. No confidence in the flesh, in your body, in your circumcision made in the flesh by hand. Galatians 5, 6. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but faith working through love. <laughs> Let's go into the sixth chapter of Galatians. Verse 15, Galatians 6.15. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision availeth anything but a new creation. A new creature in Christ. Born again, born of God, in Colossians 2, verse 11. Aren't you thankful we have the Apostle Paul? Huh. Colossians 2, verse 11. In him you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands. You understand what it's talking about, right? By putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Circumcised of heart. That's the quote I made earlier. I believe that's probably where he was getting what he was getting. A, a circumcision of, of evil from the heart and all that when he was talking about it. I believe he probably was taking that from this verse right here. Now, let's go back to Romans 2 verse 28 and 29 one more time. Let's read it. For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh, but he is a Jew who is one inwardly. The circumcision is that of the heart, in the spirit, not in the letter, whose praise is not from men, but from God. See, it's not the outward physical circumcision that matters, but rather an inward spiritual circumcision of the heart that makes one a true child of God. And Paul has made his case. The Jew is condemned. There is no one who is righteous, none righteous, no, not one. The whole world is guilty before God. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile. All are equally lost. Because like I said, there are many Jewish people who yet today are relying on their circumcision. They're relying on, but we possess the law. It was given to us. They're relying on their, call it race, nationality, ever how you want to say that. And so here's how we're going to end this up. I'll ask this question, what am I relying on? And what are you relying on?
baptism, church membership, godly parents, living in a so-called Christian nation. Is that what we're relying on? And so I want to close. I'm going to let Martin Lloyd-Jones give the exhortation in the midst of this from Romans 2. This is the the book that covers uh, chapter 2, verse 1 to chapter 3, verse 20. Martin Lloyd-Jones, quote, Is anyone hearing this who is relying upon his or her baptism? I don't care whether you were baptized as an infant or whether you were grown up. It makes not the slightest difference are you relying on it. There are people who are. And not just of the Catholic faith. Because we know within that infant baptism, they believe that that ushers them in to the household of faith. And that there are many who would go through the procedure and the process of of getting baptized in water and they're banking their eternal destination. Okay, I'm good to go. I got baptized. Is that what it's all about? No. No, it's not. Lloyd-Jones says it makes not the slightest difference if you are relying upon it. If you think that the act of baptism is the way that is the thing that saves you and puts you right, whatever you may be doing with your life, you are in the identical position of the Jews. As they relied on circumcision, you are relying upon baptism. Whether it is a sprinkling or an immersion or anything else you may like, mode, age, it does not matter. Anyone who relies upon it and upon it alone is in the position of the Jew who was relying upon circumcision. Or, are you, I wonder, relying upon the fact that you are a church member, that your name is on a church roll? Let me pause here. Well, preacher, why, why, don't, why don't we have church membership here? I've never, I've, now to think about it, I don't think I've ever asked you to have people, anybody want to join, come forward. Years ago I did. Not anymore. Why? Why would I not do that? Because I don't want people hiding behind a process. You understand? Uh, the, the, the members of this church, it's you folks that keep coming Sunday after Sunday and, and keep listening and, 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 and keep taking part. That, you're, you're the members of this church. Not just because it's a name written on a piece of paper somewhere. Uh, do you understand that? Do you understand why I don't? And, and after I'm gone, somebody else may come and say, oh, we got to have membership. And that will be up to them. Let me go back to Lloyd-Jones. I wonder, are, are you, I wonder, relying on the fact that you, are on a, that you are a church member, that your name is on a church roll? There are many who are relying on that. That is, again, to rely on circumcision. It is finally useless and worthless if you rely on it alone. Is there anyone relying on, upon taking the sacrament of the Lord's Supper? Ah, I know many people who rely on this especially if they have it very early in the morning. If they go to their early morning Mass, they are absolutely convinced it puts them right. They have no doubt about it. But that whole sacramental idea, it teaches people to rely on this grace. Now I've talked about coming to the dispenser of grace, that, that goblet, that cup. It teaches people to rely on this grace, that that's in the goblet which is transmitted. They are taught in a material manner and is inevitable. 
that it is inevitably in the wine and in the wafer. They receive the grace, they say, and they rely on it to cover everything. Without the Spirit, without repentance, true repentance, without being born again, what is it? It's nothing. It's nothing. It's no better than the Jew who was holding on to their circumcision as a means to God. Or to come a little nearer to ourselves, are we relying, any of us, upon our knowledge of the way of salvation as such? Are we relying upon our familiarity with evangelical terms? I'm afraid I know numbers of people who are relying on this, who are guilty of this. They can use the terms very glibly. They can state the whole way of salvation for you. So what's wrong with them, Lloyd-Jones says? Well, what is wrong with them, it seems to me, is that if a man is a true Christian, he is born again, he has a divine seed in him, he is a partaker of the divine nature, and it must show itself. And the lives of such people sometimes clearly indicate that they have no such divine life. Let me pause there for a minute. You know such people? Let me, let me take a little deeper. Are any of us such people? Oh, we have knowledge. You see the challenge that's found there? I had some people come to my mind who seemed to fit this very thing, and I imagine you have too. Let me continue. They are worldlings. Though they say the right things, they are people who rely upon a knowledge in the terms and the way of stating them, and they think that their mere knowledge of it saves them. It is not in their hearts at all. It is purely in their heads. Let me continue. Or is there anybody, I wonder, who is relying upon some theoretical assurance? By that I mean the people who say, well, I go to the Scripture and find that it says, whoever believes on Him shall not perish. I do believe on Him, therefore I shall not perish. Am I all right? And, and, and I am all right. And they stop at that. That is the ground of, their ground of assurance. But if you stop at that without looking for the fruits of the Spirit, are any of the or of any of the results of the divine life i say you are heading straight for this hypocrisy of which the jews are, were guilty in their reliance upon the mere fact of circumcision see and and that's the danger that comes i ask that question so often from this pulpit do you believe and i know the response from some would be yeah i i, I believe and I've asked the question perhaps quite often, but is your belief any better than the demons who tremble and believe? Is, is the belief that you say you have, is it wrought by the Spirit? Has it come by the truth of God? Are you truly born again and bearing fruit of righteousness? Do you see the difference? There's, there's a belief that's not unto salvation. It's just a knowledge. Let me continue, Lloyd-Jones. Those then are the practical questions that arise from this chapter. One of the most important, and he's talking about Romans 2, one of the most important, one of the most serious chapters in the whole of the Bible. 
No chapter so searches profession as this second chapter of the epistle to the Romans. Am I saying then that there is no value in these things? No. There is great value in all the things I have mentioned as, as there was in circumcision. They are all great privileges, but they do not save. Well, I'll get that. Everything that, that he talked about here. But they do not save, and they are not enough in and of themselves. Not one of them. They are good signs, but they are not to be relied upon for salvation. They are excellent if the inward reality is here, that circumcision of the heart. Nothing really matters finally but the new nature, the new life, the divine seed. The thing that ultimately matters is this. Have we received the new nature? Well, yes, I believe. Well, have you received the new nature? Well, what do you mean? Well, does His Spirit bear witness with your spirit that you are a child of God? Let me continue with Lloyd-Jones. Have we got the life of God in our souls? Are we partakers of the divine nature? You can be highly moral. You can be well-versed in Scripture. You can argue about it. You can teach others and preach to others. You can do all these things even more than the Jews did and still be condemned. It is the state of the heart that matters. Have we got the new heart? The clean heart. The heart in which the Holy Spirit dwells. That is the thing that proclaims that we are truly Christian. And therefore, my last word is this. If we want to make sure that we are unlike the Jews in this respect, we must examine ourselves. The Jews did not and never would. Examine your own selves. Prove your own selves. See whether you are in the faith. That is what the Apostle Paul says to people like this. So let every man examine himself. Let us take these searching questions which Paul addresses to these Jews of old and let us turn them upon ourselves. Let us live with them. Let us be able to answer them. May I suggest to you humbly that you can only be sure that you have answered them truly and faced them honestly when you look at yourself and say, in me, that is to say, in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. That's Apostle Paul, isn't it? When you abhor yourself and hate yourself and get down on your knees quietly in your own room, not on the street corner, not in a public place, but in your own room with the door shut and the blinds drawn and acknowledge it before God and break your heart before Him, reminded again that, that if we do confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Oh, may God give us honesty and truth in our inward parts that we may allow the Scriptures to search us. And therefore, as we decide to read the Word of God more diligently, let us resolve to allow it to search us in our vitals, to be honest with it, to be careful, because there are millions outside looking at us and watching us, judging God and His Christ and the glorious gospel of salvation by what they see in us. End quote. Now, I would venture to say, if, if you were listening at all, that that had to challenge you. 
I'm going to go ahead and ask the question again today. Because the true answer, the true answer, after examining yourself, the answer to this question has eternal consequences. Do you believe? Oh yeah. No. Do you believe? A belief that is wrought by the Spirit, moved along by the truth of God's Word, and is heart changing. Romans 10, 9-13 That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness. Now, I'll pause there for a moment. Do you have a little bit of better understanding of what that's saying right there? A heart that's been circumcised by the Spirit. you understand what it's saying? But with the heart, the circumcised heart, one believes unto righteousness. And then, with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. For the Scripture says, whoever believes on Him the Lord Jesus Christ, will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon Him. Call upon Him in faith, believing, receiving, repenting, calling upon Him, confessing. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. This comes back to even chapter 1 in Romans. Let's read that verse 16 and 17. Romans 1. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it, the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. For the Jew first and also the Greek. For in it, in the gospel of Christ, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith and is written, the just shall live by faith. For by grace we are saved through faith. Romans 5, 8 and 9. But God demonstrates His own love toward us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Man, put yourself in that verse. But God demonstrates His own love toward me and that while I was still a sinner, Christ died for me. Much more then, having now been justified By His blood, we shall be saved from wrath through Him. So all who by faith truly believe the gospel of Jesus Christ will be saved. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we give thanks for Your Word. And from Genesis to Revelation, what speaks... And it speaks the foundation of the same message over and over and over again. So Lord, we, we just ask that from time to time when we gather together such as this, that you would open our understanding even more to the truths of your great and wonderful, precious word. Father, help us, help me, help us all that we would have the courage to truly examine ourselves. To stand before Your Word, Father, like it's a mirror. And then when we look into the perfect law of liberty, what do we see? 
what do I see? Do I see a lawbreaker? Do I see someone whose whose faith is just more of what I have made up in my mind? Or do I see someone who has been saved by grace through faith and who has a heart's desire to love Christ and to obey His commands? So Lord, help us all to examine ourselves, to be reminded of who we are, to be reminded of, of, of those of the world in our work, in our leisure, and in whatever it may be, the world is looking on and what are they seeing? Are they seeing the actions and the speech of a hypocrite? Or are they seeing the, the fruit of the Spirit? Oh, Father, that everything that we would say and do would be for Your honor and for Your glory. Father, forgive us when we fail. Oh, we, we know that you hold us close, and oh, <laughs> oh, we're so thankful for that. And like any good father would do, you discipline us when we need it. You remind us of what you have told us and what you expect from us, just like a good father. And so, Lord, help us to be faithful and obedient children. Help us. And Father, should there be anyone who is listening to this sermon, who is yet lost, that any kind of belief system they have is just full of holes and there's nothing that they can really stand on according to Your Word, I pray that by Your Spirit, and by the truth of Your Word, Lord, that You would have mercy that You would open eyes to understanding, that You would open ears to hear the truth, that, Lord, that You would grant faith. And, Lord, upon a, a glimpse of You, immediately our sin is revealed. And we know without a doubt that we are lawbreakers. And so, Father, after revealing their sin, shine Your glory, Your holiness. Show them the rescue that's, that's found in the cross of Jesus Christ. Draw them to Yourself, granting faith to believe as they repent and turn from their ways to follow You. So, Father, have mercy. So help us, Lord, as we as we go our way, remind us of all the truths that, that we have heard. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.